Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. We're going to head over to North Richmond Hills. Daniel, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you? How are you doing today? Um, so I did some foundation work uh, back in May on my house. I used a uh, uh, ramjack and... Uh, just about a, a month ago, I was having some heavage coming up in the middle of the house, so I had them come back out and kind of take some le- uh, elevations. And I found out I have a leak in the center half bath of the house, it's okay. pretty much right in the middle of a two-story home. So uh, obviously this is going through insurance and all that, but I had a company come out, and I'm, my concern is them digging. They want to tunnel underneath the hole versus digging down and busting through the slab and uh they said they're just going to fill the hole back up with hand filling it with dirt and so i don't know if that's the right way to go if it should be like some kind of slurry mix um just wanted to see what you think okay now uh, and understand i do this every day with due west Uh, we we do foundation repair we do under slab plumbing and uh, well i do all plumbing but uh we do a lot of under slab plumbing and let me ask you a couple quick questions how old is this house? Uh, it was built in 86. Okay, so you're going to have PVC plumbing under it. Is it a water line or a sewer line that broke? It's a sewage line. It, it actually, what the plumber said, it looks like it, it, it detached. So I don't know if that happened when the foundation work was done. Um, you know, back in, I guess, like uh, uh, late August, my wife heard a big bang. Uh-huh. And so we're thinking maybe that was the separation of that pipe. Okay. We, and, we don't and, know that. But. And that can happen even from just the soil expanding and contracting. And, I, I, you know, how many feet of tunnel are they talking about having to dig? 27 to 30. Okay. I personally don't dig that much tunnel unless I at least offer underpinning because your concern is correct. When, they, when we backfill tunnels, uh, it's going to settle in that area. Right. The, the soil is going to settle, and it can move the foundation in that area. Now, if it's just an isolated repair that way, and it sounds like it is in your case, I always offer to just go through the slab and fix it that way. One okay. breakout in the slab is not going to kill the foundation. Uh, it's going to be substantially cheaper, but you know the upfront cost looks like it's a lot cheaper. Uh, I will tell you, though, the cost of the cleanup after they're done is going to be right. rather pricey. Uh, okay. And by the time you compare the two, a lot of times it gets very close in price. So they're talking uh, how many feet of tunnel? 27, you said? Yeah, 27 to 30. And, and you know, he said depending on what he sees, they may have to tunnel further. And, and you know, my concern was I, I, he said it was a three-by-three three tunnel, and, and I've got uh, those – uh, beams running, you know, the, the right. foundation piles running through. And I don't even know at that point where the clean out is, if I even have that much space and, you know, and you uh, do. I just didn't hear, hear enough. So I was like, I'm concerned because I don't want future problems from sure. this one being corrected. Well, you, you do have, uh, there's always a, enough room to do the tunneling. Um, the, to tunnel and do a repair like that, uh, you're probably look looking at something, give or take, ten thousand dollars right that's about actually about right on the money of what we got yep. to vote from that company yeah well like i said i do this every day uh so you know if you want to tunnel it that way 
that's fine. But I would not do it unless you're going to do the underpinning to support the foundation. Because otherwise, in the next two years, you're going to be digging that tunnel back out and putting piers in anyways. Right. That's kind of what my concern was. And, and yep. so I, I was actually just listening to the radio and I said, oh, man, I need to get on the phone. <laughs> well, and if you need a second opinion, by all means, give us a call. I'd be more than happy to come out and look at it. Yeah, I think I absolutely will because I called my adjuster and I told him I wasn't uh, uh, confident with what that guy was telling me and how they were going to do it uh, just because of the foundation work itself. So yeah. I think I will be absolutely giving you guys a call. I appreciate it. Joshua, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Afternoon, Mr. Dutton. How are you? I'm wonderful. How about you? Not too bad. Uh, better if my fireplace would work right. So, oh, I get that one. Yeah, we built a new house right out a year ago. It's a uh, metal home, spray foam, so it's pretty airtight. But it has fresh air return on the fireplace. Uh, not a traditional chimney, just a stovepipe that goes up through the top. Right. And whenever I try to use it, smoke rolls out into my house. And I don't think it's a pressure issue because I've even opened a window right there in the room next to it. And it's still and it doing still it. Comes, still rolls out. They put a windbreak on last spring because they said that the air was pushing it back. Yep. And it finally got cool enough the other evening. I could test it out, and it did not help a thing. Okay. <laughs> so I was wondering if you had any ideas because I'm kind of at a loss. You know, one of the most common is they don't have the fire or the uh, chimney high enough. Okay. You, you, you've got to be so many feet above the peak of the house or trees around it uh, in order to for the th- air to flow properly coming out. And uh, even trees growing up over time can mess with a fireplace working properly. I don't have a tree anywhere close. And the pipe is below the peak, but it is on the north side. Oh, can't be below the peak. It's got to clear the peak by a minimum of three feet. Okay. So I think we found your problem. I hope so, because I just want it fixed. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And I don't. I know. And I know I'm supposed to be doing a spot now. I don't know how they got away with that. That's code in the building codes. It's supposed to be above the peak i believe it's three feet but i'm gonna look at that while we're on break here so uh, i'll tell you what if you'll stay listening i'll put that out when we come back with more texas home improvement okay when we left the last hour we were talking about the fireplace and it sounded like the uh, chimney possibly wasn't high enough so i pulled up the code and yes it's got to be a minimum of three feet above the roof you know wherever the chimney's at on the roof minimum of three feet and if you're within 10 feet of the peak you need to be two feet above the peak in addition to that so i'm betting your issue is going to be the fire you know the top of the chimney just plain isn't high enough now if the only time you get smoke coming in is when you first are getting the fire started you know, that means the draft's not taking off fast enough. Um, and I've had that issue before as well. If you'll put a, a uh, all those fire starter bricks in the bottom and let the heat get going so that the airflow already starts going up, you'll minimize the amount of smoke that comes out. You know, the, the fire's got to have the heat in order to raise, you know, the, the hot air rises and, and draws the smoke with it. 
So if all you've got going is smoke, yeah, it's likely going to come in. But if you've got a fire going where there's hot air going up, it will normally drag the smoke with you. But, you know, based on what we talked about on, on your home, I'm betting that the uh, ch- chimney just plain isn't high enough. We're going to go over to Colleyville. David? Hi, uh, Mr. Dutton. Uh, maybe a little bit out of your uh, area of, of home building, but I have a question about a series of ponds that are probably five to six foot below each other, and separating them is a dam of, let's say, 50 to 70 feet that's constructed out of concrete. And at the side of the pond dams, there is sinkholes beginning to uh, erupt, and was just curious if you had any cheap way to repair a leaking pond dam at the side that would cause a sinkhole. Is the water going all the way through uh, in the, into those sinkholes, or are they up above and, and it's uh, sinking down? They're up above and sinking down. So mm-hmm. it looks to be that the water's leaking uh under the pond, under the dam, yep, and causing the dirt, you know, to sink up at the surface. Yeah, sound. Yeah, it sounds like you're getting some erosion, and then it's sliding in. Now, I will tell you, one of the things that can cause that is not necessarily the water going under the the dam. Is uh, it can also be caused by beavers digging into the side of the dam. Uh, I happen to live on a pond, and we we've had that problem a couple of times. Um, and typically, what we, you know, what you can do is fill it with gravel and dirt in order to pack it. They won't want to dig through that, or it can be injected with uh, mud pumping, urethane, things like that to repack the soils. But it it all depends on exactly what's happening, where the moisture's coming from. So it takes a little bit of investigation to to figure out the the right way to repair it. I understand. And but the beavers will dig under the soil uh, un, you know, below the oh, dam. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they'll, okay. they'll yeah, they'll dig into the side there and you know, so they got a cavity and you'll start getting some some slough off of the soil caving in and creating sinkholes. The injection process you were talking about to try to fill in the the hole that's developing is that a complicated procedure or something you know fairly uh, easy? And what companies would do that? Usually, it's fairly easy, uh, but it's really going to depend on how deep these are and you know what's again what's causing it because it doesn't do any good to fill it if if you haven't found what the cause is to stop it uh, to keep it from happening further. So. Uh, that's why I say it'll take a little bit of investigative work. Okay. All right. Well, that's very helpful. appreciate your uh, your thoughts. All righty. You take care, David. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Alan, this is Jim. How can I help you? We have uh, a, a wall that separates a den and a bathroom. And we have cabinets on both sides of those of that wall, uh, and uh, the bases that are sitting on the concrete are made of like four or five ply plywood. They are rotting out. 
I mean, uh, up about an inch. Okay. Uh, and it's just gone. And I, I, I'm assuming, and, and it's, it seems like it's uh, a moisture issue. Um, we've had some mildew in those cabinets, but I have no idea how to uh, address it or what to do or where to go from here. Yeah, so the first thing is where's the moisture coming from is is going to be the big one to to figure out. What's the flooring in in the you it's said one si- oh. Yeah, but uh you said one side's a bathroom, right? Yeah, one side is bathroom. Yeah, there's tile on both sides. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and some years ago, we had parquet in that den. And we had a guy come in to refinish the floors and put down polyurethane, and mm. all that buckled. Yep. I didn't think too much more about it, but now it seems like we're having moisture coming in underneath those cabinets. Yeah. It is possible that it's coming moisture coming up through the concrete because concrete's porous, uh, you know, so it's very possible that that's where it's coming from. It's also possible moisture gets underneath tile and can travel, and you don't see that the, any moisture in the tile itself. But sometimes you can see it in the grout lines. Uh, but it can it can do a lot of damage as well. So there's several things that could be causing it. Um, the soil outside. How much foundation is showing? Oh, ample. Probably what. Five inches. Okay. So that in itself would help to start eliminating moisture coming up from underneath unless there's a leak of some kind. Uh, How old a structure? Uh, We built in 77. Okay. So it should have PVC plumbing under it instead of cast iron. Uh, But it's still possible that it's got a leak. And it could be even just the wax ring. Like I said, the moisture can get underneath the tile and travel. So that's what we're going to have to start looking for is where's this moisture coming from? Because if if we simply build it back and don't address the moisture issue, it's just going to happen again. Yeah, that's what what we're afraid of because of that uh, parquet in the past. Yeah. We thought, well, that took care of it because we put tile down and maybe it would be able to breathe through the uh, grout. Right, yeah. Um, but I, but I, and I did check, I did uh, put in a new, uh, a wax ring on the toilet. Um, but I haven't had enough time. It, it, it seems too consistent and, and, uh, right. I mean, it doesn't look like it's coming, dripping down from, uh, the wall where the, where the pipes come in from the attic. Okay. And it, is there water in that wall? Yes. So it it yeah. could be that there's a small drip in there that just keeps the the wood wet. Uh okay. and that would slowly spread out on that wood and cause it to rot because typically the moisture coming up from underneath isn't enough that it would rot the wood that way. Oh really? Oh yeah. well, I guess that's good news. Uh, uh any okay. Well, because I was wondering if there's a way to seal the slab on top. Yeah, there is, but I I don't think that's going to be what your issue is. Okay. 
Uh, you know, for the wood to rot that way, uh, I'm betting there's got to be something that's leaking, dripping, something. Uh, but again, I'm not there to look at it, but uh, that that would actually be where I would start. So my first thing to do, I would actually shut the valves off to all the water, the, to the toilets, the refrigerator, all those kind of things, and watch my meter and see if the small dial is still moving. And let's see if there's a just a pinhole leak of some kind. Okay. Uh, if there is, then that's got to be found, and first place to look is going to be in that wall. If it, if the small needle or little triangle is not moving at all, uh, that will probably eliminate that part of it. So now we got to start looking, okay, what else can it be? Is it a the wax ring leaking? Is it a uh, drain line for the sink in the bathroom? Something along those lines. And then my third then would be to look for moisture coming up through the slab. We're going to head to Umble and Elizabeth. How are you yes, today? Hello. Good. How are you? Wonderful. I well, have a um, issue with a brick house. Mm-hmm. And it is um, the corners where the gray, where the um, foundation, the corners right. have come off. Okay. And About that... six inches off in each direction. Yeah. Yep. What is that, or why is that, or how do I fix it? Well, basically what happens is the corner is exposed on both sides, you know, so when the concrete is poured wet and it's drying, the corner, because it's exposed like that, dries faster than the rest of it. The steel reinforcing doesn't go all the way out to that little corner piece, and so when it dries faster that way, it has a weak spot, and over time will tend to peel off like that uh you can actually if you've got the corner piece you can get some concrete epoxy and literally epoxy it back on and be done with it not have to worry about it anymore uh but it's nothing structural that you need to worry about as far as a house falling or or having a bad foundation or anything okay great is there a certain kind of epoxy that you'd recommend or no nah, they just, just pretty much just a regular concrete <clears throat> epoxy okay all right. Well, thank you so much, Jim. You're welcome. You take care. Have a happy right, Thanksgiving. You know, we've had a few questions about foundation problems today, and I actually had an email this week as well from uh, Rosanna in Benbrook, and she says she's asking about the do-it-yourself foundation watering. Greetings, Jim. Would you please let me know where I can purchase a pressure-reducing valve and filter to set up a do-it-yourself foundation watering system? The pressure-reducing valve I have comes across, have been for either RVs, uh, which only go to 40 to 50 PSI, and valves for drip irrigation systems. Those do not have a male garden hose adapter. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with your audience. I look forward to hearing from you. Well, Rosanna, you can get those. Uh, at certain times a year at the box stores, but they don't carry them year-round. Uh, they are in the irrigation department when they do have them. Otherwise, you can go to Longhorn Irrigation or Ewing, that's E-W-I-N-G, Irrigation Supply Stores, and they're all over Texas. Both, both of them are. And 
they carry that stuff year round and uh, would be able to help you out with both of those items. Teddy sent in an email and says, is there any kind of insulation that could have prevented pipes bursting during the last snowstorm? Please explain all options. Well, there are stuff that you could have done to prevent the pipes from breaking. You know, the, the myth about leaving the water on, dripping, that's not going to keep them from breaking. Rivers freeze. They're flowing. Your dripping pipes are still subject to freezing. Now, pipe insulation works great. That'll allow you to drop the temperatures low. Uh, they actually have... Uh, wraps for pipes that you can plug in that heat the pipes that's going to keep it from freezing uh, but it's uh, other than that i mean those are going to be your two primary things now if you've got your pipes uh, say in an attic and you can cover them with the regular home insulation that will keep typically the pipes from freezing as well as long as the heater stays on but what happened to a lot of people was when the power plants went down, we didn't have heat in the house. As the, as the house got cold, so did the pipes. And so the insulation wasn't able to do its job, and that created a lot of havoc with everybody. So, yes, the key thing, get them insulated, keep them protected. Uh, hose bibs outside are the same way. We are at that time of year where we do need to make sure our hose bibs are protected, or at least we've got the stuff to protect them. And quite honestly, wrapping a towel around the pipes does a wonderful job. You don't have to spend a bunch of money. Use what you have around the house, and you'll be just fine. During the news break there, uh, I heard them talking about, you know, a lot of people are going to be putting up Christmas lights and stuff. Thanksgiving weekend is next weekend. And, uh, you know, let, let's go over a, a few precautionary things here. One, don't put nails in your roof. Period. Don't do it. It's not good for the roof. Uh, two, if you're going to be going up on the ladder, make sure it's secured. You know, it's, uh, more injuries happen because of the ladder than anything else. And uh, as far as hanging up Christmas lights, and it's because we start overreaching and, and leaning to the side and the ladder tips. So let's avoid those type of problems. Move the ladder often, and you don't have to worry about it. Now, if your house has gutters, you know, you can get clips that hook onto the gutters to hold the lights. If you don't have gutters, they have clips that slide up under the shingles to hold the light. And quite frankly, my house doesn't have gutters. That's what I use is the clip that slides up under the shingle to put the lights up. And at the end of the season when you're done you're able to just pull it down the clip comes with it and i've been using the same clips for i don't know five six seven years already so they're they're easily reusable now some of mine are starting to get a little bit brittle and i'm having to fill in some of them but uh in general you get a lot of use out of them and they're not that expensive and it doesn't do any damage to your shingles so i, I highly recommend you take a look at that Next precautionary thing, staples. you got to be careful with the staple gun. It is very easy to go through the wire instead of on each side of the wire. Uh, and at that point, not a good move. Uh, but the other issue with the staple gun 
it sometimes clamps down on the on the wires too hard and it can actually break the wires so as much as possible don't use staple guns use something else to to hold the wires in place uh so th those are just some minor precautionary things now it used to be we had to caution people as far as don't plug too many into one circuit and stuff but most everybody's been switching over to the led lights and that really hasn't been a big problem with the led lights because they use such a small amount of electricity uh you can run a lot of strings on one plug uh when you're using the led but if you are still using the old incandescent bulbs hey you got to really be careful with that uh most of the time the incandescent bulbs is 15 watts on each bulb so you run two or three strings you're maxed out on the uh, leds it uses such a small amount uh, you can get away with on some of them running 20 strings together so you know use some common sense as far as your wiring if you keep flipping the breaker and stuff it's time to change how you got it hooked up dennis how can i help you Good afternoon. How are you? Wonderful. All right, uh, two questions. Um, the first one, if you don't have any written contract or signed contract with any contractor, can they put a lien on your on your house if they haven't finished the job but they're still demanding money? They can put a lien in Texas. They can't make it stick. In okay. other words, okay. in other words, yes, they can file it as as though it's a lien. But when it comes time to try to enforce it and they don't have a signed contract or anything, no, they can't make it stick. In fact, in Texas, because it's a community state, uh, both husband and wife have to have signed in order for, to make that lien stick. Okay, yeah, because I have a contractor who didn't do his job, but his subcontractor is finishing like one-fourth of the job, which was his part, but I'm paying him. The contractor also took some money, but he didn't finish any of the job. Right. But now... They're trying to say, oh, I'm going to put a lien, but I, I guess, uh, as you said, already answered the question. But thank you. So kind of uh, you to take no the problem. question. You bet. Thank you. Take care. And again, 214-787-1080 is our number. That's 214-787-1080. And contractors, you need to be aware of that. It takes both husband and wife to sign in order to put the liens. Now, granted, you can go ahead and put a lien but you can't get it enforced. And that's where everybody runs into problems. Uh, it's kind of like filing a lawsuit. Anybody can file a lawsuit. Doesn't mean you're going to be able to win it or go anywhere with it. And the lien is the same way. But if both husband and wife have signed and a contract has been completed, you bet they can enforce it. Uh, but typically in Texas, if it's your primary residence, they're not going to be able to enforce it until you go to sell the home. That's when they can collect on it. I'm going to read you an older email that had come in. This this came in in July, and I kind of got an update on it. I uh, talked with the, the guy earlier this week, or, or I think it was Monday. Anyways, this is Justin from Beach City. My brick two-story home sits on Trinity Bay and was built in 97. It's 5,000 square feet. We just found that 70 75% of the sheetrock is wet has mold or is moist enough to warrant replacement. No one we've hired or spoken with can find the reason for this. We desperately need your help. I would gladly compensate you if you would be willing to make a trip out to take a look and solve the mystery. And 
So quite frankly, I did go to the to the property. One of my guys went first, and then I went out and and took a look at it. Uh, brought uh, my head AC tech with me because I had a suspicion of what I thought it was. And what was happening was the air conditioning system was drawing air from outside through the walls. Every place where the the walls weren't insulated properly, it was allowing air to draw in. Well, it turns out, and, and this I didn't get all this information until this week, uh, as far as how it was put together. When they put the hardy siding on, they didn't put anything behind it. And so through the, the two floors where it would go all the way to the outside wall, it was just the, the air conditioning system wasn't set up properly where it was pressurizing the house. So the house was on a negative vacuum where it was trying to draw air in from outside. So easily by putting in a fresh air intake would have solved that problem. But instead, it was drawing through the walls between the hardy uh, panels and, and different things. And that's where all the humidity was coming from. And it almost ruined this house. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it when I was walking through the house and going up between the floor panels and, and different things. Uh, but he was able to get all that taken care of now and uh, has almost got the house put back together. So what they did is they had to strip all the siding off. And uh, quite frankly, this would have happened whether it was a uh, James Hardy siding or any other siding. That's the reason I stress so hard. Your contractors have to know what they're doing when they put the stuff together and put it together properly. Uh, had this house had the proper um, boards put up first, you know, typically, and you hear me say this all the time, put your plywood up or a uh, OSB board up, put your vapor barrier, then your siding. That would have taken care of this problem. But... It wasn't built that way, and this went all the way back to the manu to the builder of the home. And what happens is these builders they push to do things as cheap as possible. You deal with it later. That's not their problem. Uh, that all they're trying to do is get you past the warranty period, and it becomes a problem for for everybody else. So that's the reason you know I, I stress so much on contractors. Don't necessarily hire the cheapest guy you find. Yes, your siding will probably look the same when they're done, but is it the same job? Absolutely not. And this particular house, uh, I venture to say this uh, repair was probably $200,000 to put this house back together, and there was no reason for it. It was just a shortcut that shouldn't have happened. Contractors, shame on you for doing the shortcuts because there's no reason for it. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com. 